You're listening to the Physio Matters Podcast. This episode is a collaboration with the Musculoskeletal Partners Network. And this is Emergency Podcast number two. Welcome back to Physio Matters in these emergency times. So we're getting podcasts out as quickly as we can once we've recorded them, just to make sure that the information is very current. You can tell that the audio is a bit better than our last episode with Rachel Moses. Thank you so much for those of you that have listened to that and tolerated the ropey audio on my headphones at home. I managed to get the, uh, the good mics uh, together for this one. Um, so thank you so much for all your support and please do keep in touch with us about how we can help as well as you guys uh, making sure you amplify our messages and, and countering some of the bad ones that are out there. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for your, for your support in this difficult time. This episode is brought to you with the Musculoskeletal Partners Network, which is a trade association relatively recently formed um, with as a conglomerate between different uh, MSK businesses in the independent sector and the private sector. Um, they have a uh, they are a network of brains that can answer some of the questions that are on everyone's lips around what they the state of play is considering the coronavirus pandemic um, with regards to sort of job security and what the likely outcome is for MSK businesses. Um, this is something that we, we understand that some of the talk is is directed at clinic owners, but fundamentally a, a good understanding of how the sector is going to need to adapt is really important for all of us. And so if you're listening and you're an MSK clinician, regardless of what sector you're in, this is, this is going to have enormous ramifications across the board. And so understanding the who's and ours of, of business as, as, as is going to need to, to happen is really valuable. And also we visit in this episode a little bit about remote working, a little bit about virtual consultations. Um, and so it's just a really wide reaching chat about technology, business and the future uh, from people that are supporting uh, as much as they can everyone around them rather than looking inwardly when others, other businesses uh, are being protective over some of their, some of their knowledge. So really appreciate their time. We're hearing from an awful lot of you about concerns and understandable concerns about redeployment or misdeployment into acute medical services or respiratory services during this pandemic when your skill set isn't in that direction. We've spoken up uh, following the last podcast and made sure that we are on record declaring that we feel that MSK personnel are best placed into functional rehab services to try and help the war effort on the front line of community and virtual care uh, rather than uh, misdeploying semi-competent or incompetent clinicians that all will end up being mismanaged and misused as porters and TIs in acute services. And so do check out mskreform.org.uk forward slash rehab recruits to hear the arguments, understand what we're going to be doing about lobbying, as well as then signing up and registering your support and interest in being part of the NHS efforts to deal with this, but in a sensible joined up strategy for MSK, which will be efficient. So do check us out there. We have an episode next week which unpacks virtual consultations with Anthony Gilbert and all the details, so do tune in then. But for now, I bring you Rupert Crowfoot, Simon Devane, Paul Allen and Graham Fletcher of the Musculoskeletal Partners Network. So I'm delighted to be here today with four towering people of business in the physio and therapies community uh, they won't like me saying that but it's true um, and we want to make sure we visit some frequently asked questions that have been happening in and around the COVID-19 coronavirus crisis that we find ourselves in we're recording this on the 26th of March 2020 and the world has changed so we want to make sure we produce some emergency podcasts shall we say from physio matters to try and clarify some of the things some of the gaps that people feel aren't being covered and so I'm delighted to be joined by Rupert Crowfoot, Simon Devane, Paul Allen and Graham Fletcher all of different uh, different backgrounds that they will give more detail to in a second but each of them has got a unique take on what we need to be doing at this time through remote working, through how we can understand our obligations with regards to rates and business. They all have an association to the Musculoskeletal Partners Network, which is a trade association recently formed to advocate for best practice and to lobby on behalf of MSK-related businesses in 
in, in Parliament as well as through other local government structures. So they are really doing some great work and great messaging. So we wanted to make sure we get them on the podcast to join it up and promote it to as many of you that need reassurance at this complex time. So the first, uh, first person I'm going to go to is Rupert Crowfoot, the MSK Professional Network's Treasurer. He's also the Chief Executive of Six Physio Large Practice down in London. Thank you for coming on the show, Rupert. And could you just give a bit of a background, your background quickly for the listeners? Sure, Jack. Uh, uh, listen, uh, thank you very much for inviting me on. Uh, and thank you for that very generous introduction. Um, I've been knocking around in the business world. It makes me feel very old now for 25 plus years. Uh, my background was in large corporates in a number of different industries, uh, from fast moving consumer goods through to industrial. Uh, and I've had the privilege to co-lead and part own uh, Six Physio for the last nearly 12 years now. Um, uh, and it's uh, if you don't know, Six, uh, we've got about 150 people. Uh, we've got 14 locations, 13 clinics um, in London doing uh, uh, MSK work. Fantastic. Now, one of the things that we wanted to really talk to you about is that you're obviously in a situation where as this crisis has descended upon us, the questions that you'll be asked by your staff, as well as having to deal with yourself, um, you've been kind enough to feed forward into the industry some of the answers that you've come up with, as well as come to, to understand. So could we start, start by thinking about the obligations that practice owners um, have with regards to, say, rent and mortgages? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, all of our businesses, uh, the two biggest costs will be our staff costs. That's usually the biggest. And the next one behind that, closely behind that, is our, our property related costs. So the rent, the rates, the service charges. And um, I, I think on the videos that have been pumped out through the MSK Partners Network, uh, I'd be reasonably clear in saying, uh, you know, we are all in this together. Uh, this is such, I mean, that word unprecedented uh, feels like it's been overused, but it really is. And um, in simple business terms, you know, if you've got virtually no revenue coming in or no revenue coming in, um, you've got nothing to, you know, you've got no ability uh, to pay out or cover your costs. So, um, you know, my, my, my view for the last couple of weeks has been um, you know, everybody in our business ecosystem uh, needs to do things differently. And the conversations, the old tired conversations of landlords uh, dealing with, with uh, their tenants, we just need to rethink that because it is a complete paradigm shift. Um, and, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've had a number of landlords who've kind of volunteered to say, yes, OK, I understand you've got you've closed your clinics uh, and I can see that's going to have an impact. Uh, but, uh, you know, I could probably offer you a rent holiday. So they're talking about potentially pushing the can down the road. Um, that for us is 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 great in cash flow terms because it allows us to to conserve the cash we've got and keep paying and looking after our people and meeting some of the other responsibilities we have or liabilities we have. But it doesn't actually solve the problem because when we come out of this uh, uh, hole uh, that we're all in together, um, I, I, you know, we, we can't simply have lots of liabilities stacking up or we will have businesses that just aren't aren't tenable and are effectively insolvent. So that's the sort of conversation I've been having with landlords, pleased to say, uh, you know, varying, varying responses, as you would expect, one or two taking a fairly tough line. Uh, uh, the vast majority very aware, very mindful, a bunch who can't commit to anything right now uh, because they're still working things out for themselves. And I think it's fair to say we've got to be mindful that, you know, there are problems for everybody in the entire chain. Um, and then one or two have actually started to come back with some formal offers of some rent free periods, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, certainly things are moving, uh, but it's a, we've got to be thinking very differently about how we do things because this isn't me simply just unable to pay a month's rent or a quarter's rent. Uh, it's a seismic shift. I've got virtually no revenue coming in and we've got to think of, we've got to come up with some very different solutions. And I think the key is, uh, you know, everybody playing their part in that. Uh, and, you know, there can't be any winners in this um, either. 
Yeah, I think one one of the things that uh, I wanted to make sure I started on this question for, even though the vast majority of our listeners, as is the nature of percentages, aren't going to be clinic owners or in those situations where they're needing to liaise with landlords. But it's really important that I think that the job in clinician is understanding what is going on up the chain to try and comprehend some of the decisions that are going to naturally need to affect them. Um, and so in in that instance... Are you finding that your staff uh, are being understanding of the of the broader broader situation, and ha- how are you communicating that to them? If so, yeah, um, it's a good question, Jack. I think you know um, we we this is such a personal service business. Uh, you know, it's delivered by some amazing clinicians day in day out, up and down the country. Uh, and I'd be very clear from day one that you know, unless I I take all of my people on this very difficult journey. Uh, and we're all left standing at the end of it. I don't have a business. I've just got a bunch of, you know, long uh, and uh, expensive leases, uh, empty buildings uh, and lots of kit. And that's no good to anybody. So we've got to take our people with us. Um, I, I have to say it's been a it's a really hard balancing act um, because uh, we started to see where this might end up a few weeks ago. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I certainly didn't see how quickly it would change and happen. Uh, I think that speed has has, has shocked us all. Um, but we've 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 ended up in the position where we've closed the clinics. But but the key thing uh, has been this balancing act of, of trying not to scare the living daylights out of people, uh, but also to get them to understand uh, the graveness of the situation. Um, and it, and it, again, it's perhaps this word unprecedented. It's never happened uh, in history uh, that it, whole economies across the whole globe have pretty much started to shut up overnight. So, um, you know, I think it's been difficult. There's been lots of emotion. People have been uh, scared, anxious, uncertain. We've all got commitments. We've all got mortgages. We've all got landlords we're supposed to pay rent to. Um, but I, I don't think we can over communicate. We've done lots of things. Uh, Matt, the uh, my uh, fellow director at Six has been doing lots of video stuff. Uh, we've been sending out lots of communication. We've been having lots of webinars and, and lots of um, uh, Google Hangouts um, with the whole team, just so that we can virtually get in front of them and talk to them and reassure them. But but let's be honest, it's a balancing act, uh, and there's definitely been you know some people who've come to the, the same realizations we've come to quicker. Um, uh, others have needed a little bit more kind of help and support to get there. But but generally, my sense is people have responded magnificently. Uh, they've stood up. They're doing all the things they can do uh, and uh, and are grateful that we've been pretty damn honest. If I'm, if, if, if I'm honest with you, uh, we've had to be pretty brutally honest about where we're at because it is. It is so extraordinary. Mm. It's been difficult. Yeah, I think it, I, lo- I love that. We have an unprecedented amount of the use of the word unprecedented. I totally agree with that. It's a completely <laughs> unique circumstance, and and that brings with it huge challenges as people adapt. But also, what is especially unique is 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 how um, how everyone is in such a similar boat, um, and they've got to try and work out what they can do within their own remit, and, that, and that's the challenge. When it when it comes to obligations, then uh, beyond it, so some of the some of the governmental stuff, then such as sort of business rates and the like. Could you detail where, we're, where we stand with that, as well as understanding the, the big differences between, say, holidays and actual break periods? Uh, so, so with regards to the rates piece, um, uh, I think we've, we've uh, well, m- what we've done at six is we have written to all the local authorities. We have eight of them because uh, the clinics are spread across a number of local authorities. And we've written to them all to say we won't be paying. Uh, most of them are fine with that. Um, uh, and um, we are then going to uh, lobby them all to say, actually, uh, we're no different from uh, the, a lot of the hospitality, retail and leisure businesses that the government has said will enjoy a 12 month rates uh, moratorium. They won't have to pay rates for 12 months. So we're starting that secondary process now of trying to challenge and get ourselves included in that. Um, we're going to do that at six, but we're also going to do that through uh, MSK Partners Network uh, to try and get some change there, because that would be a big win for us as a profession, uh, as an industry. Um, yeah, so that's the rates piece. Does that does that answer does, all your questions? Uh, ab- absolutely. And so, yeah, to, to be clear on where we, I probably missed a chapter there, didn't I? Where the government haven't necessarily stated explicitly and wouldn't, you know, muscularly to private practices is not going to come up. It doesn't fall off the tongue very easily. But um, so when it comes to the rate relief, 
work that they've been talking about it doesn't necessarily it's not always crystal clear as to what it does and doesn't include which involves a need for such as measures such as what you're taking to try and see if we could be included in that yeah absolutely and i think i think it's been complicated a little bit because uh central government has devolved that responsibility and this is the key to each local authority so what you're most likely to get is a number of varying responses from the local authority so it's kind of made the task a bit harder so um i would encourage everybody uh to 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 lobby their local authority um and i hope we'll be able to publish some 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 thoughts around that through msk partners network shortly uh, i'm sure simon will have something to add to that because he's had some more success uh, in that in that area um, and then we'll try and take that up to the government level so that they perhaps reissue that advice and include us I don't expect that to be a quick thing, but I think the key is, you know, don't pay it. Tell them you're not going to pay it. I think that's okay. These are extraordinary times and it'll help you conserve cash. So, frankly, you can keep your staff on and keep paying them. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as the treasurer of the MSKPN, I want to make sure I do just talk talk money in a, in a raw sense at the moment in terms of the banks. What, what, what do you see as being opportunities for support from the banks and, and have you had any success in discussions with them as to where we stand? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, another, another another great question. Um, uh, there has been lots of talk of the British Business Bank, uh, which will be the bank that's basically funded by the government, which will be uh, lending up to eighty percent of any. Well, we we underwriting eighty percent of any loan that your bank then uh, makes to you as a business. Um, so. Uh, there is movement there. I think the reality is, uh, you know, there's a huge number of businesses up and down the country that are suddenly, you know, have closed the doors and not trading or, or or have seen significant drops in their revenue. So there's going to be lots of people calling the bank, asking for help uh, because they need to make payments today. Uh, and they're seeing their bank balance gradually reduce uh, or rapidly reduce in some cases. Um, so I don't think it's going to be a quick or an easy thing. Uh, having to mobilise and make a lot of uh, loans uh, and process a lot of applications very quickly. Um, all I would say is what I've seen, uh, I had a, we've had a series of calls and conversations with our bank. It, it helped to some degree that we were already a borrower. So we had borrowed some money uh, from Santander uh, about 18 months ago. Um, so they know us um, and that makes it slightly easier for them to understand our business and take a view because there is a balance sheet risk for the banks in this, even though the government is underwriting 80% of that. Um, so I think, you know, the help is coming. All I would say is I think the reality is, uh, you know, conserve your cash, manage what you've got in the bank, because it might take some time for that help uh, with all the best intentions to actually reach you. And I think that's true of all the government initiatives and whether that be the, the payroll piece where, um, you know, we're going to be able to furlough some of our staff uh, and get, uh, you know, a portion of those wages recovered or paid by the government. Those things are just going to take time. And, and um, you know, it's just a monumental task for our civil servants in this country to to get those schemes up and running and the money to where it's needed most. And and as you do that, then as a business, are you recognising because the duration is challenging for us to understand when that 80% could be recouped? And I know just off air, we talked about the fact the vast majority of your staff are on payroll rather than contractors. I'm going to ask the contractor piece later in the conversation. Might be better placed elsewhere. Perhaps Simon can jump in on that. But um, at this point in time, are you, because of the timeframes there and because of the stark reality of the situation, are you needing to go to your staff to talk about what uh, what can be done for salaries in the coming months? Yeah, we have had to. Um, and and we wanted to give them some certainty about this current month uh, that we're in, still March. So that's all done, set in stone. Um, and there are a few tweaks to the normal rules because the world has become a little unnormal and unusual uh, but broadly speaking they'll get paid what they were uh, you know due so that's given them some certainty uh, for next month we're just trying to finalize the furloughing um, uh, rules and just take a view on that and get back to everybody but but I, I think you know as I said earlier everybody in the ecosystem uh, within our business environment whether you're a, a supplier a landlord uh, you know you're, you're you're one of the members of the team we're, we're all going to have to uh, you know take a little bit of the pain along the way mm. if we're going to get out of this successfully so um, as a business owner uh, Matt and I took a very significant uh, 
pay cut this last month, um, I suspect we'll get to the point where we can't pay ourselves any for the next couple of months. But if that enables me to help and keep everybody on board and get us out the other end, then those are the kind of decisions and sacrifices I think we just need to make. So, um, yeah, and I I think most people, Jack, sorry, most people are, a reasonably understanding of that though they're just anxious and my real struggle in all of this is is because it's been moving so fast and there's been so many changes and of course the government's help is great don't get me wrong but again it's just right how's that going to work what are the implications what can i do for my people and mm. it's trying to work that out get back to people to say okay that's what it's going to look like yeah it's a real fa- it's a, such a fine balance with regards to the balance of responsibility between trying to make sure you're keeping an eye on things from central and local governments as to what factors are affecting things but also there is this need for us to all look to ourselves and our own people our own services to think what can we do what can we how can we adapt quickly and it's a fine balance really you don't want to be left waiting cap in hand but similarly you can't pretend that we can solve it all through just looking at ourselves it's, it's such a such an interesting time so thank you so much for that we'll certainly be back chatting to you in a second Rupert but I want to bring in Simon Devane who's the vice chair and secretary of the MSK Partners Network as well as chief executive at Pure Sports Medicine and other uh, set of practices in London thank you for being on the show Simon could you just give uh, some further detail as to your role please sure and uh, and thank you for the invite Jack um, so I've been involved in the management of healthcare for 13 years I joined Pure Sports Medicine 2007 in London, um, spent six years as Chief Operating Officer, uh, setting up the internal structures of the business, and then latterly, a couple of years as Managing Director before um, picking up the or taking on the privileged position of, of, of running the business as the Chief Executive for the last five years. Fantastic. And so, with regards to, I mean, obviously we've touched on some things there with, with Rupert, but also I just want to make sure we offer some clarity, I think, on the point of employed versus contracted staff i understand you have a a mixture and therefore where where do where does the land lie and how we understand it in the in the distinctions between those things yeah i mean a very good question and a difficult one because we're still waiting on a lot of clarity um we're expecting um a decision from the government today which may provide some much needed support for the contractors but we have a mixed workforce at Pure Sports Medicine, um, predominantly employed, and um, and that one brings its own challenges. Uh, I mean, Rupert touched on it. Uh, we we're a little bit further down the road um, in terms of deciding um, what our workforce is going to look like for the next three months, um, and taking the decision to um, to furlough staff and put them essentially onto the company's job retention scheme, where they will be supported um, by the government initiative um, and also uh, supported from what the company can do as well um, for the next three months, which effectively secures their jobs, um, secures their employment rights and means that they will have a job to come back to. The contractors, um, it's very different. Unfortunately, they are steering into a world where they have uncertainty around revenue. We're not sure about the volumes of virtual consultations. Um, for now, the position that we've taken is that our contractors are very welcome to do as much as they can with regards work um, and adding time to deliver virtual consultations. Um, and we are hoping that there'll be some government initiatives to support that group of key workers as well. Yeah, fantastic. And what what I wonder about with with regards to contractors, which again, we're still waiting on that sort of self-employment package, which must be really complex and I can understand the delay and also the order in which the government has had to then explain some of the the packages. One of the things that I've been hearing about a lot from our listeners is people wondering, do we, um, do do people need to go um, dead weight on the system and to essentially declare themselves not able to work in any capacity in order to receive any supplementation so i don't mean contractors now i mean employed employed staff um these people that are sort of wanting to try and balance the doing all that they can but also being able to secure that 80 percent furlough so i wonder where 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 are people at with that yeah well again the guidance is not is not explicit on this the view that we've taken at pure sports medicine is that if you are offered uh, the support of the job retention scheme that you effectively move into a uh, a paid leave scenario. So you are still an employee of the business, 
um, and you are supported um, by the business and the government and your employment rights are secured, this means that you cannot take up other paid work. So we have uh, questions from a number of our staff who are looking at potentially taking up roles within the NHS, paid roles to support the current effort. And if and when those opportunities become real, we will uh, remove them from the job retention scheme and grant them a period of unpaid leave to take up that paid opportunity. Um, but as it as it stands, our interpretation is that you, if you're on it, you're supported and you cannot take up other paid work. But if, as more clarity from the government comes to hand, that, that may change. Yeah, because one of the things that um, when, when thinking in our industry, there's people that are on a salaried scheme, but also work on bonus opportunity. And so in situations where their salary might actually be only 50% of their typical takings, it would be if if it you know if the if the world was was more simple than it is right now it might be that people could uh, be known to to be taking sort of paid leave of sorts uh, and not take other paid opportunities but but then also be able to supplement what would be the normal supplementation of salary do you think that that's a pipe dream really because it's so particular to our industry or do you think that that might be something that comes out in in government guidance in terms of what what sort of how much people are going to be mandated to not work in that period of time? It's a, it's a hard one, Jack, because again, there are other certainly other sectors and other industries where um, revenue, um, a proportion of pay is linked to um, performance. Um, so healthcare won't be the only sector that has this, this nuance. Um, so no, I don't think it's a pipe dream. Um, but again, it, it's just so early days in the scheme. And as Rupert said, We've got um, civil servants working incredibly hard to get some of these government government initiatives off the ground that it might be a few weeks um, before we get any further clarity. But it is it is something that, you know, we do need more guidance on. But as it stands, we can only make decisions with the information we have to hand. Absolutely. Which brings me on to something I really wanted to talk to you about, Simon, which is sort of a, a general concept with regards to sort of managing cash and understanding the stakeholders and, and, and that that broad piece of, of then if that is the case, if the delay that you and Rupert are describing is going to come to fruition, which it looks like it's going to be a, a period of time and, and one that we can all I think understand as to why it's not going to be something that's sorted out by tomorrow but in that time, what sort of tips and tricks do you have for, for our listeners as to how they can best manage their, their cash in this circumstance? Yes, well, the old saying cash is king has never been truer um, given the current circumstances. And the first statement I'll make is is take control of your cash now. Uh, and that simply means making sure that you know and are in control of all cash flows out of your business. And some of the mechanisms that you need to think about are, uh, and these are things that, that, that we have done, um, cancelling direct debits and standing orders, uh, checking any company credit cards for, for standing orders that are set up. Anything that would automatically go out of your account, try and stop that to get control of it. Um, the next concept that, that I have talked about in, um, in one of the videos posted on the MSK Partners Network channel was about identifying the stakeholders in the business. Um, and this is, this is something that will be relevant to every single business and uh, to one of the points you asked Rupert about all staff are, are key stakeholders in any business. Um, so quite broadly, you've got staff, you've got investors and owners, you've got your banks, your landlords, your suppliers, and of course the government. And for our businesses to survive through this period of uncertainty and crisis, we're going to need a coordinated response and, and a contribution from all stakeholders uh, to make sure that we get out the other side. So in terms of, of the cash side of things, there, there are clearly Rupert's talked about um, with business rates and landlords are pretty key. But in terms of your suppliers, who are also going to be key, you need to identify which suppliers are going to be critical to running your business now in this new work, virtual world. And, and the other ones that you may not be able to afford to pay right now, but you will need on the other side of this journey. And what I will say is don't stop talking to them. Um, communicate, have someone in your organisation who can have responsibility for picking up 
um, those relationships and managing the expectations about when uh, money can be will be forthcoming because it's uh, it's going to be tough for absolutely everyone. No one is immune. Because that is one of the one of the strategies that gets employed sometimes, isn't it? That people then go cold and, and ghost their suppliers, um, and that is I've never heard of that working as a strategy. Sometimes it's a panic tactic, but generally speaking, I think in these circumstances, people are just wanting to prioritize their time differently and just thinking they can just let the phone ring out. It's, it sounds like you're agreeing that that's not a smart move. No, absolutely not. And as I said, I mean, if you if you identify the key stakeholders in your business and then attack them line by line, uh, that's a good strategy. I mean, you know, our staff are number one. And so uh, dealing with um, with our employees has been the priority. Um, we, we seem to have got through the bulk of those conversations now. And so we're moving forward to more robust conversations with landlords, uh, local authorities with, rela- with relations to with relation to business rates and of course suppliers. But um, yeah, going cold on them and not providing any communication is not a wise strategy if you want them on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's uh, that's really valuable. Thank you. Um, one of the things that I want to um, before we double back into really talking about some of the nitty gritty on on business, I want to make sure that we we bring in Paul Allen, who is the director of NHS services for Connect Health. And Connect, who obviously we've worked with on Physio Matters and beyond before, but they are people that have got a good insight into virtual consultation, something that both Rupert and Simon have mentioned as being something that, that, these, that all of our businesses can hopefully try and roll at least some of our income through into. Um, there, there's a long legacy of use of that in Connect Health. So I wanted to bring Paul in. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Paul. Could you give the listeners a, an insight into your background? Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you, Jack, for <clears throat> for having me on the on the show. Um, so, for, for those who are unaware, we connect of delivery services for some twenty six CCGs, um, managing approximately three hundred fifty thousand patients a year and, and employing four hundred and seventy clinical staff. And we've been using virtual consultation in the form of, of telephone or telemedicine for about twenty years now. Uh, reasonably effectively, uh, particularly over the last five years since I've been with the organisation, we've seen a, an exponential rise in our use of just digital platforms to enhance the way that we work um, at both the patient level and at the business level um, uh, in terms of our approach to running meetings, running projects, we have HR systems, quality management systems. Um, but it's the patient side of things that I think we're, we're interested in talking about today. Um, and because of this crisis, we've seen a, an exponential rise in, in the amount of offers and platforms that, that seem to now be available to support organisations to quite rapidly deploy virtual consultation offerings to, to our patient cohorts. Um, and that largely is expanding into the video consultation world, not just telephone. Um, so I think the NHS England sort of mandate around moving everything into being virtual, supporting triage, supporting the more urgent and critical cases through through digital means has, has really helped to push that agenda. Um, what we've seen in Connect Health uh, um, is essentially a, a journey which moves us from, as an organisation, looking what's best to being a little bit more holistic around how it integrates with other systems that we use um, and ultimately how it supports the patient experience of, of using digital means. And that's been a real journey for us. Um, and it's something we, we look at as part of our continuous improvement program to make sure that what we are delivering really meets the needs of patients. Um, more recently, to, to give you an example of what that looks and feels like is, is quite often one of the um, downsides of, of digital consultation methods is it excludes a, a number of individuals, particularly those who perhaps English is not their first language or, or those that are hard of hearing. Um, and we're now seeing tools and ways and means of, of, of actually enabling those people to use virtual consultations um, by linking in British Sign Language interpreters through freeway video and, and other such innovations that are really adding value to the way that we can deploy virtual consultations. No, that's fantastic. And, and it's something that I think it should be reassuring to people that although a lot of people are having to flex in this direction, it has got a, a long history and background and, and also a lot of evidence-based support. We're going to be visiting this conversation in detail with Anthony Gilbert in another emergency podcast to talk about virtual consultation, the, the use and R's, the do's and don'ts. 
But in general, with regards to how it supports your business, Paul, is it something that um, you feel is an enhancement or a compromise? Uh, you can look at it both ways, and I, I, you know, I won't come as a surprise to anybody reasonably familiar with it. But but it does have some compromises. Um, the, the most commonly held, which I'm, I'm sure you'll get into in subsequent podcasts, is the patient experience piece. Uh, I think it's relatively well known and accepted that the virtual consultations tend to lead to a, a poorer patient experience when directly compared with, with the physical alternative. Um, however, there's a weight of research that suggests that it doesn't necessarily alter the outcome. Um, uh, and I think so some people look at that as a compromise, but it has obvious advantages too. the, the virtual consultation piece enables us to to deliver really quite efficient from a time perspective um, access to care. Um, it reduces travel, it reduces, um, particularly during this time, the need for any kind of social distancing or contact. Um, so it has got some real advantages to it as well. Yeah, and I think as well, it's one of the big challenges, I think, uh, trying to make sure we link patient patient experience to patient outcomes and, and that that sort of behavior piece is obviously a, a bigger thing than just virtual consults that's a that's a perception thing and accuracy of perception with regards to outcomes in in msk is uh, definitely a conversation for another day but it is it is useful for us to know that that people don't necessarily have to compromise on outcomes and i think that's one of the things that i think a lot of things are coming out in the wash with regards to style of practice if if in msk you've been someone that i would say and, and I don't think it's controversial, especially to our listeners, for me to say practicing in a dated manner uh, by um, excessively inferring sort of curative action to your hands, needles, machines in such a way that you are the fixer. If you're still practicing that way, then yeah, it's going to be a massive earthquake underneath all of your work because th that is something that is not e you're not able to simulate virtually. Whereas if you've been in a rehabilitation model where all those other things, whilst used, are supplementing functional rehabilitation that is something that is then you're able to adapt and not compromise outcomes based on what your understanding of your research is, as well as the uh, application data that you guys have at Connect. Is that something you're finding where some clinicians are able to adapt more than others or some models of practice? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think it's really worth touching on. So, so, so I look at it in two different ways. I have the more formal information that we, we gather from our services and our use of, of virtual consultations, and you've touched on them, right? It's, you know, our experience is measured through friends and family test collection and our outcomes for, for EQ5D. And, and we've been doing this for long enough now that we, we understand the trends associated with virtual consultations. And, and from a friends and family test perspective, we, we generally have a, a 5% difference between physical and virtual consultations, with virtual being slightly lower. Um, but from an EQ5D perspective, those that go through a, a predominantly virtual pathway, um, there isn't a significant difference. Uh, and I think that's really important to, to, to highlight. The other side of that coin is, is perhaps a little bit more anecdotal in terms of what we hear uh, and listen to from our clinical workforce. Um, and you get one of two responses generally, if I try and make it as binary as I can. You have those that really struggle um, to, to, to deliver virtual consultations for all the reasons you've just outlined, Jack. Um, but interestingly, and particularly during this crisis, as we've mobilised perhaps services we previously wouldn't have pushed down the more virtual route. So I'm thinking pain services is a really good example and rheumatology services where there might be a bit more of a lag to them being predominantly virtual. We've had some really interesting feedback anecdotally from our staff and our patients, particularly in pain where we're actually staff and patients are both reflecting back. But because of the lack of physical presence in a clinic room, they they feel more comfortable being open and honest uh, about things, not just in terms of their persistent pain, but, but psychologically, sociologically, that they're sharing more info information through the digital channel than perhaps they would if they were sitting face to face with somebody in a clinic room. And, and I think that's really interesting as anecdotal feedback in terms of how virtual consultations for some people might actually enhance uh, their experience and, and ultimately enhance their outcome because they're willing and able to share more information they wouldn't if they were sitting in a clinic room. Yeah, that's fascinating and I, I put out a tweet uh, about sort of mechanisms of effect and their importance in this circumstance uh, just reflecting on, on what I've been watching as, as clinicians are trying to adapt and my friend and mentor Mike Stewart who I tagged in that tweet 
got back to me and said that he'd experienced a similar thing over the years of doing lots more virtual uh, consultations worldwide within persistent pain as is his expertise and said a similar thing and there has been you know, off the back of that I've been doing a bit of reading and, and, and found that there's lots of really decent sociological research about that as well as even the difference between face to face versus in a car if someone's in a passenger seat the, the, even the, the orientation of the person and the, the context of that circumstance makes it very variable as to how well people will open up and uh, that is something that I think we need to make sure gets evaluated sensibly and thoroughly when the dust settles on this whenever that might be so thank you so much Paul stay on the line we're definitely going to be having a big chat between all of us um, after this but I want to bring in Graham uh, Graham Fletcher Graham's the chief technical officer of Connect Health and what I wanted to make sure we talked to Graham on is that we've talked about the patient interface with regards to virtual consultations, but as businesses are starting to work more virtually and needing to work more remotely or distributed as, the, as is the buzzword on Silicon Valley, so I've been told, but essentially the way in which we can start to interact as teams is surely... We've all, we all know we've been in bad meetings all of our lives and we've all been on bad virtual meetings as well. How can we try and make sure we mitigate that and use this as an opportunity to bring out the best in remote working? So thank you for being on, Graham, and uh, please do introduce and unpack your role, if you would, at Connect for us. Thanks, Jack, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me on. Um, I mean, my role basically is is to be, you know, I'm fully accountable for all the technology that Connect uses as a business, um, and that means all the technology we use internally to run our business as well as the technology we use to serve our patients. Um, I'm also accountable for, you know, all the data, the information governance and change management as well. So, uh, yeah, fascinating time, to, to say the least. Absolutely. I've been with the business about 18 months, but prior to that, I held senior technology roles in Sage Software, British Airways, and the Co-op as well. So, eighteen months. Wow. So that th this counts as a baptism of fire. You're still teething, I would argue, no doubt. Is uh, and for to be yeah. a super important role in the business at this time uh, for a business that already uses an awful lot of, of tech tech solutions, as I know. So, one of the thing I wanted to therefore start with was was um, mentioned as I said when I introduced you is that. Remote working has its has its pros, but it definitely has its cons. So can you talk to us a little bit about what do we mean by it, as well as then how can we mitigate some of the challenges? So I think my my I guess my definition of remote working is where is where all of your people, whether they're internal teams or, or physicians or whatever are actually they're not co-located in the same place um, and I've seen several flavors of that in my time obviously with working in big global companies like Sage and British Airways where you have you know big distributed teams all over the world and it can be one person working from home or, or 20 people in an office in Atlanta mm. um, I think the really key opportunities it gives is what, what I've always found in, in a lot of the teams that I've run in this way is that you know it can give focus what, what you can find is that there, there are a number of people who when, when in a different environment to the normal office who, who would normally be more distracted or, or would sit with headphones and things they can kind of find this better for them that they, they can focus differently they can they can give themselves a little bit more clarity of mind um, and I think that in itself can be useful I think the 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 flip side of that is there are a lot of individuals who aren't used to that and there are a lot of individuals who um, you know prefer just to have the company of, of their peers around them and I think that's the the, the really challenging part for this now is as we move you know effectively we, we're moving the you know large parts if not all of the business to it to a an entirely distributed model when we were completely office-based really two weeks ago um, so I think that you know that, that those are the two kind of flip sides of that for me mm, for sure and so as I as I joked about really we've all said that there's there's meetings that could have been emails um, as well as then meetings that break down through miscommunication um, one of I'm concerned about both of those things happening I'm, I'm concerned about people thinking that 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 they have to utilize Skype zoom teams for the sake of what could have been emails and just feeling obliged to sort of lean into technology when it, it was otherwise going to work in fine through basic comms as well as then breakdowns in communication through the fact that we haven't got that natural medium of face-to-face of -face contact that sometimes has a conflict resolution element to those comms just by having the ability to interact in that that very most human way so on those two points how can we again mitigate some of those challenges if you indeed agree with me you may not 
I, I think it's an interesting thing because I think what we, what we find in a lot of bigger businesses is there's there's a, a default setting of everybody emailing each other anyway. I, I've seen that in most of the big companies I've worked for. So so I find that that's a, a challenge whether everybody's in the same room or not. Um, and we sort of strongly encourage people to actually speak to each other. Um, because we're not all co-located in one building in Connect anyway, that there is a natural tendency to have to work in a slightly different way. So, so whether the person you're talking to is, you know, in a, in a GP surgery down south or in their their own home, sort of doesn't matter. I think what we're trying to encourage is everybody to have a conversation. You know, don't don't email if you can. You know, pick up the phone, use a slightly more interactive. You know chatter type of, of conversational UI so that you can get into that. Um, but what we are really encouraging is is the use of is use of video in terms of from a from a team conversation. So we use Microsoft Teams by by default as a as a medium. We encourage people putting their cameras on for for at least a short spell because I think there is something you know, it's widely known that if you if you don't have that contact that you would normally get, then I think it's really important to be able to see your peers' faces. Um, mm. You know, I had a big team meeting yesterday with thirty people, all in different parts of of the country, all in their own their own homes, and everyone had their camera on to start with because it's really important to be able to see the other person and, and get a little bit of interaction. And I think that helps break down the the you know what, what you might find if you were just doing everything entirely through text. Mm, no, um, for sure, I, I think. Um, in terms of meeting structure, we, we again, it, it can be quite an interesting dynamic. We, we are, you know, we've sort of set up, and this is kind of throughout the business, is, is a much more, I get a little bit more of a sort of structure in terms, you know, we, we have a, a, a daily sort of all hands. We have um, regular scheduled sort of meetings that, you know, are just 15 minutes of quick catch up and checking how everybody is and, you know, and kind of forcing more, more sort of cooperation and more, you know, interaction than, than you might have even had if everyone was sat next to each other um, and I think again that's really important to put a little bit more structure around the day than, than you would have had necessarily in the office and and I think that really is helpful um, I think meetings themselves are always, always as good or as bad as whoever's set the <laughs> agenda and, and, and who's, who's the chair so uh, I'm not sure that's any different really. No absolutely not and I'm feeling the pressure in this meeting from uh, having said it so no I totally agree now when it comes to then technology one of the big things that uh, people are concerned about and, and also the concern isn't unwarranted because I'm witnessing the NHS play a bit fast and loose with information governance and, and things as they need to integrate tech as quickly as possible. Now, I'm not saying that they're being unsafe, but I know that there, there's some things that I think have been excessively legislated and a bit anal over the years that they're then flexing. And so suddenly, suddenly WhatsApp's on the table. You know, I've never, never known so many NHS executives even know what that is, uh, never mind sort of promoting it. So there's definitely certain things that... that uh, best practice test cases are are being sort of being made sure they've been promoted but generally speaking there's people recognizing that we're in unprecedented times as has been said and we need to adapt to them with regards to you as an organization um how much how much room is there for wriggle and 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 also beyond the organization which for you having integrated these things in long before this this crisis you may be in a situation where you needn't flex your situ situation but are you sympathetic to those that need to i mean i am i think as we've all described this this is like nothing any of us have ever seen and you know i, I worked at british airways when we had september the 11th i i thought that would have been the life defining moment in, in anything mm. this is bigger than that wow. so, so i think there is an element of we do have to you know, be, be understanding and accepting of that. Um, but I'm also really conscious that that this this will pass, and and we will prevail. And what we will have when we come out of it is 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 a different world. But we but we cannot have abandoned all of the things that matter to us. You know, only a couple of weeks ago. So in terms of our information governance, we are we we're in a good place in that we had quite a lot of, of, of the right things in place in the first place. We're not having to compromise on things in order to move quickly. Um, we've we've reissued a sort of use your own device policy, which is given ourselves a little more clarity of, of using, you know, Office 365, for example, in the cloud over your own device, but making it really clear about don't where you put the data and, and don't copy things locally, um, which is just to sort of aid people in what they, what they can and can't do. Uh, and we're using technology to help protect people so that so that we are using virtual desktop technology which 
stops people from being able to do things locally you know they, they can't because a lot of this stuff happens by accident people don't realize what they've done um and, and because we've got a lot of that in place already we're just trying to protect everybody and, the, and our patients from accidental um harm so 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 far you know we are we are continuing to operate with with all of the rigor that we needed because we had it all kind of thought through in the first place and we're just scaling really quickly mm. um you know, like I said, large-scale use of Citrix as a, as a technology to allow access to clinical systems in a safe way, you know, was already on the cards, um, and a, similar with Microsoft Azure and things. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I get it. I get it, and I, and I think it, it is really difficult though, because if you haven't got those things in place, and and your you know your primary focus is to operate and, and make sure that you look after your patients and and everything, it's it's really hard. Um, but but you, but there's more than one aspect of looking after your patient, and that is you know ensuring that their data and all that they hold dear is is kept safe for them. Yeah, we've got we've got, we, you're absolutely right. We need to not not compromising the actual usage is one thing but we certainly can't compromise on values with regards to data protection and and, and safety and security especially when people you know one of the examples is that people were asking me and i'm sure we'll cover this in more detail with anthony gilbert next week which is that people saying well, well can we can we record them um yeah, on a on a on a video uh, can it be recorded and sent to them to demonstrate exercises and things like that but this is people that are on the other other side of a of a call that, that might be in a state of undress because they're demonstrating or pointing to ears to where indicating where their, their back is sore then where is that recording landing if it's cloud-based, then Absolutely. where is that? Where is that server located? You know, it's just that people need to know. That's where I'm not comfortable with people playing fast and loose without IG policies that are robust. And so I think there's there's some compromise, but there's areas such as that where we need to err on the side of caution. In in my opinion, I would totally agree. I mean, we we are still you know steadfast in in all of those principles. We you know even the technologies that we are bringing on stream really quickly you know to support video consultation we're still doing you know the right level of rigor but we're doing it in like a day as opposed to you know what might have been weeks but we are very very clear about where data is stored and and what what compromises we wouldn't make that being a key one you know we will we won't have data just sitting out there anywhere if we're not clear where it is we will still draw the line and, and find a different way. And there are so many choices that it's not hard to find a different way really quickly. You know, you don't have to just grab the first thing you find on the shelf. Absolutely. So, no, thank, uh, you, thank you so much. I mean, the tech solutions to, to problems, it's uh, I'd, be, I'd be fascinated to see the change in Google search terms across the, across the world at the moment where people are looking for those sorts of fixes. And so the companies like yourselves and, and, and everyone on this call really that are ahead of the trend on that are in a, in a position to, to, to help us kick on. And also the reason why, why you four are in a position to not just be, be uh, dealing with, with your own wheelhouses, but also feed some of that forward at times where everyone's scrambling. So it's, it's fantastic opportunity for us to chat together, now, which brings me to want to try and bring that all together and, and, and basically ask any of you as to if you're all hopefully still there as to what if you have any comments on some of the other themes that cropped up. Um, Paul here, Jack, I, I suppose I, I'm happy to, to go first. Um, and, and it probably is something that pulls us all together and, and I and I think I put it on Twitter last night which is during, during this unprecedented time what we're seeing is is organizations scrambling to support a crisis by releasing capacity um, and I think what we're seeing is organizations doing more at scale of what they're really good at um, and and I think from a purely connect health perspective we, we think we're pretty good at what we do and there's an opportunity, therefore, for us to support the wider NHS, similar to, to what you're doing with MSK reform and, and the rehab strategy. And, and I think collectively we can really help to drive that agenda, um, you know, in the way that, that there's a number of private practices and private physiotherapists out there that, that can support the NHS during this crisis. The question is, how do we do it? And, and I see it in two ways. Um, and this is the conversation I'm having with a number of commissioning groups and, and local hospitals um, is that we can redeploy the workforce. We, we can support by adding heads and numbers to, to existing work streams around supporting people through the crisis. Or we can do more of what people are already quite familiar with, which is MSK care in line with the NHSE guidance around supporting triage, supporting urgence and supporting essential rehab. Um, and we can do a lot of that digitally and virtually. 
Um, and they're not just us, but there are other organisations who are probably a bit further ahead than, than perhaps everybody else in terms of supporting that at scale. Um, and, and I'm really keen to try and make that clear as, as an offer, really, in my conversations with, with other organisations, particularly in the NHS, to say it's not just about throwing bodies at a problem and a crisis. That there's alternative things we can do that might release existing capacity in the system to go and fight the crisis because they may be better placed to do it. Um, and I think that's a really interesting concept that, that could help solve a number of the problems we've talked about today, particularly for, for, for Simon and Rupert's world. Now, what I wondered is any, with regards to sort of the, the business side of the conversation, early doors then, Rupert, Simon, uh, anything we haven't touched or anything that, that each other mentioned that you want to uh, weigh in on? Uh, I possibly, Jack, a, a, a comment just following up on the tech stuff. Um, I, I think uh, it's really coming to a fore. I think I would stress to people um, that they don't need expensive solutions. There are quite a few platforms offering their services, and that's fine and, and, and maybe dandy, but actually we've got this, you know, we've turned our business into a virtual business overnight, and, you know, it's about connecting with the patient. So we are using Skype. We are using uh uh, got a Zoom. I know that is a paid-for service, but actually it happens to be pretty good, but it's not particularly expensive. Um, and we're using WhatsApp um, and, and, frankly, any other platform that the patient's got. So a little bit like we're here all on Skype, but it's not Skype business. Um, you know, it's possible. I think the thing that's holding us back, sadly, is our broadband. You know, you go to South Korea, you go to Singapore, and 80% of the population are hooked in with ultra-fast broadband. Uh, so we've got a way to go before that happens. And I think, uh, you know, the government and, and and as a country, we need to invest more heavily in that. But I also wanted to say, I think, you know, there's a place for uh, for this remote consultations, virtual consultations to take place. It's also a place for face-to-face. -face. You know, I think we are essentially social animals, social beings, um, you know, the psychologist will tell you that, you know, 80 to 85 percent of a of a message or a communication when we uh, say something uh, to somebody uh, is actually it's the body language. That's the key part. Uh, so I can say the same thing to you, but I can say it with some very different body language. And those same words have a very different meaning. Um, so we don't want to lose sight of that. So I'm, I'm not a technophobe. I'm, I'm absolutely embracing the tech. And I think it's amazing what it can do, but let's not lose sight of us being social animals, social beings. And uh, I think if we're all sat here in six months' time uh, talking like this, we'll be crying out for more interaction, uh, more socialising. Yeah, no, fantastic. One question I had for, for you, Simon, that I've realised um, I didn't get to, uh, but I'd definitely be interested in all four of your thoughts on this. With regards to what, what staff can do, as I said, the majority of our listeners are going to be in a situation where whilst I hope this stuff is of interest and there can be understanding of the, the mechanisms up the chain from them, but as a clinician that might be working in private practice that's had the world move from under them, should they be looking to themselves in their own personal circumstances and thinking about their own preferences at the moment and thinking what what is what what is the optimal circumstance for me to to be working in you know do i want to be redeployed do i want to be volunteering into something do i want to be seeking other paid opportunities um is, is it about them as as clinicians working out their own unique circumstances and then feeding that forward through management uh absolutely jack um and you know everyone's circumstances are different that, that's what makes us unique and you know i think that's part of the the challenge for businesses to make sure that they are bringing their staff on the journey with them so you know trying to share as much information as possible and it goes both ways such that when an individual um comes to you and says look i've got an opportunity i would like to take it up it's what's best for me right now i would like to think we're in a position to say and to say you should take it and we'll support you and and just know when when this is over you know the, the job is there for you, for you to come back to so I, I do very much think it is uh it is down to individual choice and then up to the to the businesses to try and support those choices as best they can yeah no it's uh, it's fascinating use of, of making sure that we get an appropriate mix of sort of top down and bottom up um thinking and, and the only way to do that is is through commu you know, quality communication which is where you guys started at um are there any other themes or topics that that any of the other uh, participants today shall say interviewees have mentioned that anyone wants to to add to or any areas where we've not covered so far in the show 
There's just one area, um, I guess it's a follow on from the discussion around understanding key stakeholders and cost management. Um, and as fluid as the situation is, and there is no endpoint, uh, you do need to start planning with some horizon. And uh, and I would suggest a starting point is is a 12 week forecast to, to look at your cash management. Um, but don't expect things to just auto, automatically turn back on after 12 weeks. So thinking about a very, very gradual return to normality and making sure that your cash reserves um, can can manage that kind of horizon and that you're doing everything you can to manage costs, as Rupert said, not just kicking can down kicking a can down the road, but but getting big cost deferrals like rent-free periods locked in to support that transition back to normality whenever that might be. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point and something that uh, is really relevant for people to understand as to rent-free periods versus versus rent holidays and the simply kicking the can down the road that's going to come back and bite you. I've completely mixed the metaphor there, haven't I? But you get what I mean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so f- final thought from each of you then, uh, if, I, if I can, as to the state of play and, and go with it wherever you want. Thank you all so much for, y- for your time today. And uh, please mention in your final thoughts as to how people can get hold of you as well. That'd be very useful. So we'll go in order of play then. So first to you, Rupert. Uh, Jack, listen, thank you. Thank you for today's conversation. It's been great. Um, I think my kind of closing comments would be um, everybody needs to keep talking up and down the chain. Uh, look after your staff um, and just just, you know, remember that we're all in this together. and We're all going to need to find solutions if we're going to get uh, out of it all together in one piece. Uh, in terms of uh, contacting me, uh, it's just Rue at sixphysio.com. It's fairly easy. Um, I'm sitting behind the scenes slightly in terms of social media, but um, by all means, drop me a line uh, anytime. Thank you very much. And so to you, Simon, then for your final thoughts. Well, there's no rule book on this. It's uncharted territory for everyone. Um, Everyone will be forced with making decisions. Do not be scared to make them. Um, Think about some of the things we've talked about this morning, um, some of the advice And as Rupert said, uh, communication. And I think shared experiences, really important. No one has a monopoly on good ideas at the moment. Um, And, you know, that's the whole premise behind the MSK Partners Network is to to band together as a a group of MSK businesses to to lobby for what's what's important and what can help us through this. Uh, In terms of getting in touch with me, very simple, simon.devan at puresportsmed.com. Um, or contact directly through the MSK Partners Network website and uh, we can support you from there. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And so to you, Paul. Uh, thank you, Jack. Um, aside from, from echoing the, the general ethos of, of Simon and Rupert around the fact that what this is all about is, is helping each other, helping each other at a, an individual level, um, also at an organisational level, um, I think it's so important that, yeah, for, like Rupert and Simon said, we we communicate, but also we lean on each other. I, I touched on it a little bit during this podcast, but we all have different levels of, of expertise and knowledge. Um, and when we're going through this crisis, let, let's use them. Uh, I think people will find that they're pushing against an open door if they're, they're trying to seek individual organisational advice and guidance around what to do at this point in time. Um, if people want to get in touch with me, particularly around some of the things we discussed today around integrating technology and, and virtual consultations into clinical practice, I'm more than happy to, to give advice, guidance around our journey if it would help others to, to understand and implement it. Um, best way of reaching me is, is probably on Twitter. Um, I'm MSK underscore management. Um, follow me, message me, and, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, last but no means least, then, Graham, if you can uh, give your final thoughts, please. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Um, I mean, really, it's a play of all the other things. I think it's really important to accept the fact that we're all human. Technology doesn't replace that. However, we're dealing with things today will will be just different. Don't don't be shy to accept that it's hard. Don't be shy to reach out and look after each other, and and don't be shy to ask for help when it comes to whether it's technology or each other. Um, this is this is different. Um, and and in terms of help and support, I'm I'm happy to 
give guidance and, and talk people through any of the things that we've done if anybody wants to speak to me. Um, it's probably just easier to get a hold of me on Graham Fletcher at connecthealth.co.uk, but you'll find me on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Fantastic. Thank you. No, thank you so much. And so final word from, from me then on this is that uh, uh, without trying to completely repeat what, what the four of you have said is making sure that people recognize that because of the circumstance being so unprecedented and it affecting all corners of, of, of both care and business, then you, we're in a situation where don't be the, the, the thing that's going to make people look in, insular and inwardly, uh, unlike these four gents, as well as many others in our network that have been so generous, is that the, the fear of the fear factor that you're feeling alone or isolated and that you have to then try and tread yourself out of this on your own. There shouldn't be any sort of naivety as to the enormity of the macroeconomics of the situation and the fact that it would be incredibly odd if when we reflect back on this in two years' time, we look back and realise that actually MSK, private practice physiotherapists, were the the... the the people that were overlooked they fell between the cracks of everything and we're going to with, with people like the MSK Partners Network on our side we're in a situation where we can make sure that we get heard and understood as to the nuance of our industry and it's ways like they're doing to, 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 to make sure that they get our voices heard so please do make sure you join up with that I'll be offering the details of that on the intro and outro of this podcast as well as across social media as to how you can join up and band together as the world starts to sometimes wonder as to whether or not to look inwardly or outwardly these four and the companies they represent as well as everyone associated with the msk partners network is looking outwardly and offering a helping hand just as everyone else is trying to find their feet so it's really important that we all support each other and i want to make sure i give a massive thank you that you've given an hour and a bit of your time today at a time where your time is precious and so i thank you so much for that and uh, and it's, it doesn't go underestimated pleasure thanks jack yeah thank you thanks. yeah thank you jack And there you have it. Hopefully you found that useful and uh, making sure you share these sorts of resources far and wide with your colleagues that might find them interesting at this challenging time. We need to make sure good information thrives and bad information is counted. So please do help us do that. Check out www.mskpn.co.uk and join the MSK Partners Network. It's all, they've reduced it to only a pound just to make sure that they can help lobby on our behalves and they really are the best in the game for that. It's a, a fantastic organisation that I'm fully behind. Um, and do check out mskreform.org.uk and forward slash rehab recruits to hear more about what we're doing to try and make sure we get sensible deployment and try and push for sensible deployment of MSK clinicians across the UK regardless of what sector you tend to work in whatever disruption you face in your current practice we want to make sure that we try and channel your efforts into supporting the nhs and supporting the uk in the uk's general health system department of health generally at this really cri critical time so do check that out and uh, we'll see you for more of these emergency podcasts as they emerge take care and stay safe you've been listening to the physio matters podcast discussing physio matters <laughs> Because physio, because physio matters. 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 <laughs> Thanks, guys. Right, that'll do. There'll be something in there for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right.